You're listening to the Annuity Agents Podcast with Bill Broach and Anthony Owen, co-founders of Safe Money Radio Marketing and regular contributors to ThinkAdvisor and other industry publications. Bill is a 100 plus million dollar annuity producer, co-founder of annuity.com and an internet branding and reputation expert. Anthony has helped agents and advisors across the country achieve annuity production premiums in excess of $20 million per year and is president of Annuity Agents Alliance and Annuity Innovation Systems. Each week, Bill and Anthony update you on the annuity business with marketing, sales process, and case design strategies based on actual practice, not theory. Notes for this week's podcast can be found at annuityagentsalliance.com. This podcast is for licensed financial professional use only. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our podcast. Hope wherever you are, it's a good day for all. I wanted to start off with a kind of a sad story. It's about an uh, editorial about a good friend of mine who was uh, involved in a need for nursing home care. And uh, she eventually had to apply for Medicaid because of the cost. And the, her her uh, nursing home care was uh, memory care. So she's a perfectly healthy, uh, wonderful human, but has dementia and, and evolving into Alzheimer's is the guess. Uh, that's a disease that no one ever recovers from, at least not now. So she and her husband have been married 63 years. I've known her my entire life. She happens to be my sister. And uh, when she went into into memory care, um, she ended up applying for Medicaid. And Medicaid in Idaho is a pretty nice thing. They have uh, 32 rooms, 32 patients in her building, and they have six Medicaid, Medicaid beds. And she was able to qualify for one of those. The cost for memory care in Boise, Idaho, by the way, is $6,000 a month, which uh, is enough to eat up virtually any amount of money. They've been pretty good savers their whole life. They've had, uh, her husband has a really good job and has a nice pension, but there's not a, no way to avoid out of cash flow 6000 a month, uh, and uh, plus he has to live too. So his income, uh, my sister's uh, Social Security went toward her care, and uh, a little pension she had went, the rest was paid by Medicaid, and his his income's been reduced. And you know, it's, a, it's kind of a, a bleak, but, but an extremely common issue. As a matter of fact, nursing homes are, are a result of 39% of all deaths who've been attributed to COVID, and some deaths I'm sure, um, sir, in nursing homes are just rounded into the COVID topic. I don't really know. There seems to be a lot of discussion about that. I just got this off of the report. What we're seeing, though, is the cost of staying in, in a, a nursing home is very, very high. The medium cost is 51000 The lowest is Mississippi uh, a year, and, and the highest is, is in New York. That's expected to really grow. We've talked about this on Open Mic quite a few times, and there's a couple articles up on uh, annuity.com on that very topic. So two things we need to do as agents when we're talking to people is not – Boy, our, our product's got the best yield. This is the best thing that you do. We have to consider two things. One is inflation, which we've talked about a couple of weeks ago. And two, we have to address this issue of long-term care because it is it is uh, it is part of of this planning. Uh, 
my sister's name is Susan, and her husband's name is Gary. And 63 years of marriage. They had, uh, he he worked for Boise Cascade and became a junior executive for them. They saved their money the most they could in 401ks and, and took care of their children. Lived a, lived a, a wonderful life. These are wonderful people who lived a loving and moral life. The issue comes is when a tragedy, tragedy, tragedy like this happens, it affects not only the person who's going into care, but the spouse and the, the family and people around them. And it's just devastating. We have to begin thinking differently about how we, on our fact finders, discussing this more and making sure that over on the guaranteed side, there's at least some possibility that these assets, that assets are available to, for this long-term care situation because it is becoming more and more and more prevalent. I read Bill Gates off Gates Notes uh, a while back talking about the highest growth of any disease we have in America is Alzheimer's. And as we're all living longer, we're all more exposed to it. So we need to have this in our financial plan. Now, they had a financial planner. Uh, he lived in the same town they were raised. Uh, he took care of their money. He made sure they had things like uh, life insurance and all that sort of stuff. He never suggested anything that had uh, had safety to it. He always had them in and out of mutual funds, so on and so forth. And the end result, there just isn't enough money to have, for one to live and another to have $6,000 a month in cost. So I think their financial advisor, who, whom I know well, uh, did a lousy job. And uh, but this is a, this is a result of not doing a good job is having people in this in this situation. So I decided to share my sister's story instead of have some fictitious thing up there, just to make a point. When we do fact finders and when we lay out our planning, that now has to be part of it because people are living longer and this horrifying disease is is more prevalent than ever and so on and so forth. We got a really nice share from, from Mike Reidenmeyer, uh from from the One America, and I can close these link on it. And Mike, thank you very much. And this kind of looks at areas, different areas, uh, depending on what your state is, uh, that you can look up the cost cost on it. Uh, another good one that I always use is called Elder, ElderLawAnswers.com. They both have that in there. So thanks a lot, uh, thanks a lot, Mike, for your share. And, and be aware now, we really need to focus on this thing, not only inflation, which is terrible. Or this this hideous situation. So that just make it part of your conversation as you lay out things for money for for retirement. Maybe some of this money should be redirected on that. So anyway, uh, Anthony uh, is going to talk about some other stuff right now. So Anthony, you're up. Yeah, I I thought it was uh, probably not too late in the year, and we're still kind of in the beginning of the year, just wrapping up the first quarter to go over uh, setting goals and knowing your numbers. And uh, this is just so important. Uh, I know this is a challenge uh, for a lot of you out there. Um, I work with a lot of agents that I'm not sure what side of the brain it is, but, you know, whichever side of the brain that makes you a, a good salesperson, uh, you know, the creative side, the side that, um, allows you to objection handle well and, and, uh, be able to empathize with people's feelings, uh, and have enthusiasm doesn't always 
uh, allow you to be good with uh, numbers and organization. And I see this over and over again. Uh, you're so busy selling uh, that you forget to run your business. And uh, but it's so important. I mean, I just I cannot emphasize this enough. Uh, that you need to know the numbers in your business because if you don't know where you are, uh, you're not going to know where you're going. Oh. And another thing that I've seen real common is when you don't know your numbers, you often think that you're in a different place than you actually are. You think you're doing worse than you are or you think you're doing better than you are. Uh, so here's some things to look at when it comes to uh, setting goals and then kind of reverse engineering your goals uh, with your numbers. So first of all, what is your goal? So you set a goal for the end of the year, and let's just say it's $3 million. Uh, the very first number you need to know to reverse engineer your goal uh, to understand what your daily activity or your weekly activity needs to look like to hit that goal is your average case size which means that you need to be keeping oh, track of all, of all of your cases and uh, knowing what those average case sizes are per buying unit. And then you just divide your production goal, $3 million, into your uh, – you drive, divide your average case size into that production goal. So in this case, a $3 million goal, average case size $120,000, that means you need 25 buying units this year to hit your uh, $3 million goal. Now this take 50 weeks. We're going to take out two weeks for vacation and divide that by 25 sales, which means you need to have one sale every two weeks or a half a sale, if there could be such a thing, uh, every week. How many times do you need to sit down with a client to make one sale? Well, you need to be keeping track of your uh, leads, the number of leads you're getting from each source, how many appointments you're booking with those leads, and then how many times you're sitting down with a client to go to the next level of reverse engineering on this. So uh, most of the agents that I work with are either going to have a uh, one to three or a one to two uh, sit down to close ratio, which means that if you have a one to three, that means that for every uh, three people that you sit down with, you're going to sell at least one of them, okay? So your close ratio, your sit-close ratio would be 33%. How many sit-downs or how many appointments do you need to get three sit-downs? Most of you, that's going to be four. So you're going to book four appointments, and you're going to sit down with three. And... Uh, you're going to lose some due to no-shows or reschedules or backing outs or things like that. Then you would need to know how many appointments, I mean, sorry, how many leads you would need to get those four appointments. And uh, if that number is 10, then you would have a 40% appointment ratio. So I need to have 10 leads to get four appointments to get three sit-downs to get one sale would be the way that that number worked out. And I need to do that at least once every two weeks in order to hit my goal of $3 million if my average case size is 120000 So now you know what you need to do 
you know, how many leads do I need to get? How many appointments do I need to book? How many times do I need to sit down uh, to get to my $3 million goal? Uh, now, what does that look like on an income level? Well, let's go to the summary here. So you're going to have expenses of $75,000. That's assuming a lead cost of $300 each. Uh, and I'm not picking on any one particular marketing system here. I'm just kind of averaging out what the general lead cost is with a lot of the systems that we use. Some of those systems could be much less expensive. Some can be more expensive, right? So marketing expenses, 75000 Commissions based on an average commission of 7% of $3 million is 210000 Your marketing profit is going to be $135,000. Oh, God uh, damn. So, the, so the bar to success on this is not that high. I mean, you've got to make one sale every two weeks with an average case size of $120,000 to net $135,000 in marketing profit at the end of the year. Nobody's going to get rich off of this, but it's a good living, right? So how do you improve your business at that point? How about increase your average case size? Now, this increasing your case size is not a product of your lead system in most cases. It's usually a product of a, of a sales process improvement. So if you get better at compelling your clients to act by driving a sale with a fact finder problem and solution. In other words, you build up uh, the benefits of annuities tied to a problem that needs to be solved so a client becomes more committed to solving that problem and you have a sales process that shows a client a solution that requires more premium to solve, then you're going to drive up your case size. And if you were to drive up your case size to $200,000 without any other changes, we're not changing the number of leads you get, we're not changing the number of appointments you get, how many times you sit down, all we're doing is improving the results when we do sit down with someone and getting our uh, average case size to go from 120000 to 200000 you are going to increase your marketing profit to $205,000. Okay, that's simple. No increase in marketing whatsoever. What if your case size was 200000 and then you increased your marketing budget to 150000 So, in other words, we, we're taking our marketing budget from 75000 to 150000 We're increasing our frequency by 200%. We're getting twice as many leads. We're going to get twice as many appointments and twice as many sit-downs while increasing our case size from 120000 to 200000 Well, now your marketing profit is $410,000. You're getting your goal is $8 million a year. Uh, number of buying units is 50. Number of leads per week is 10, up from 5. Number of appointments is 4, up from 2. Number of sits per week is 3, up from 1.5. And your commissions go to 560000 and your marketing profit is 410000 What if you increase your closure ratio? Instead of uh, one out of every three times when you're sitting down with someone, you close a sale, you increase that to one out of every two times. You know, so we could go on and on. If you look at the top producers, their case sizes are all in the 300 range, 
uh, or higher, and they're typically closing business one out of every two times they set down. Once again, case size and closure rate is not a product of your marketing system per se. It's a product of your sales process. And the challenge you got to avoid here is blaming your marketing for your sales process, right? You can't, you can't say that my leads are bad. You have to say my sales process needs improvement in order to improve your case size and your close rate. And certainly there's some marketing that's better than others. We all understand that. But uh, your first look should be at your sales process and, and how you're driving your case size and your close rate. Now, if you aren't keeping track of these numbers, how can you blame your case size and closure rate? And this is really uh, the area that a lot of agents live in that leads them to uh, an area where they're not accountable to their own success, right? If you think that your case size and closure rate is better than it is, or if you don't even know what it is at all, um, how can you hold yourself accountable to improvement? How can you measure your results from one year to another, especially as you're increasing your marketing? Because as you increase your marketing, that increases your frequency in front of people. More at-bats, more being in front of someone should make improvements in your sales process because you're getting more practice, right? You're, the more you do it, the better you become at it. But you have to be able to measure that those results so that you can see that your increase in marketing is paying off so you don't get discouraged. I want to see if I double my marketing that over time I'm going to increase my case size and closure rate and know what my profitability is from that so I can say, hey, that was worth it. I think I'll do more of that. So what I would do is just if you're not tracking your numbers, Start tracking them. Start putting this data down in a spreadsheet. Um, if you don't know how to use a spreadsheet, get someone to help you. You know, take a course, do whatever you can to be able to track your numbers uh, because you are running a business, and it's so important uh, to uh, know where you are so you know where you're going. Uh, so, uh, Bill, you're going to talk about Social Security yeah, I've got a couple other things. Say, hey, whoever is on the call making strange noises, can you can you please quit? So there's a lot of agents on this call, and they are we get a lot of stuff from it. So appreciate appreciate not uh, making strange noises. So on this next part, I had on the podcast last week, and I had a, quite a lot of a strong response from it. And I had a two or three, maybe three, I suppose, say the, the LinkedIn work form. There there were two links on the on the. Uh, on the notes, this is exactly what I had up last week about becoming the local expert in Social Security. So I remarked it for you. The one at the bottom underneath her picture is to additional information, but the link was above it, so I made it very large for you to see this. It's a, a ebook download. You can print it off. Listen, this is in two hours. You can be an expert on this, and you can learn more about Social Security in this short time than you can uh, anything else that I found. So. Make yourself an expert. Be better in the competition, et cetera, et cetera. I won't repeat all the stuff I went through last week. It's all on the recording if you if you miss it and want to hear it. Roy Snar, uh, who's been with us a long time, based in Texas, wrote a terrific article about uh, uh, Social Security, about looking at retirement as cash flow. I've left it up here for you. It's a darn good read, and uh, 
think of, you have to think of things. Remember, it's not how much money you have; it's how much money you have every month. And I tell I tell my guys, like, spend your last dollar on the last day because it comes again the next month. And that safe, secure, reoccurring income uh, does a lot to reduce stress and have a happier retirement on it. So, a good article on there. Hope you take take time to read it. I wanted to jump down into tax planning for a minute. Uh, I follow a magazine called Wealth Management. There is a lot of uh, interesting articles on that. And these are, uh, there's a link that's alive to the entire article on the note. I just took, I just took a few, uh, uh, I took a few points off of it. And these are just suggestions by members of Congress. But what it's saying to me is there's something's going to happen. Our tax code is going to be changed and it's going to be changed probably to uh, generate as much revenue as they can. And some of the things they're thinking about here, I think, are really an indication of some of where we're going. Uh, Bernie Sanders reducing the state tax to 3.5 million. I mean, really, we can all live with that because there's lots of ways to avoid state taxes through Islet Trust and, and gifting issues, so on and so forth. So that's one thing. Elizabeth Warren uh, makes me crazy to think about high tax for really wealthy people. I mean, people that have earned the money, fair and square, and paid taxes on it all along. I don't think they have a chance on that. Uh, there's a chance, too, that uh, this, the one thing that we do not want to happen in this country that probably has is getting some traction is the elimination of step-up and basis rules. And there could be variations of that, but what that really means is if I paid $100 for a stock and it grows to 1000 I die today and I leave that stock to my daughter Annie, she can sell that stock without any tax liability. And that's called step-up and basis. And it's a big part of asset transfer in our country that makes things work. They reduce that. They're going to re- they're going to burden the country with a lot of additional taxes on it, and it's just not right. I totally oppose it. There's also talk about repealing the uh, death tax altogether, and uh, I, you know, the estate tax is a very inefficient tax, and it was originally created in 1913 to keep all the wealth in this country from a few very wealthy families. And I think it's one of the, I think the estate tax is one of the things that have made America what it is, that that and eminent domain rules. But anyway, there's a lot of talk for Who knows who it is? The point is this, is from lots and lots of sources, we're getting lots of ideas on what to do with the tax rate. And, and now with uh, our current administration needing to come up with a lot of cash flow, uh, this you can bet things are going to happen along the road. Probably, probably the one thing that's going to be the most painful is the actual income tax rate <clears throat> on earned income is going to going going to increase, and uh, this means we all pay more taxes. I guess, but there you go. Uh, Anthony, you have some updates? Uh, updates? Not much going on as far as updates right now. Um, some, we're just seeing some increasing rates. You know, Sagicor just yeah. increased their MIGA rates, and we're seeing that all around. So, um, yeah. but nothing significant. If you uh, look under David's picture, um, here's something I'm going to investigate a lot more uh, having to do with uh, uh, asset care, with uh, how you uh, go about funding parts of long-term care. It's published by One America. It's about using IRA dollars to fund this. I think it's an interesting point. It might be the best use for those dollars since they are always going to be taxable. So good little article underneath that. 
under more information, there's a couple of points, uh, 10 things women need to know about life insurance. Hey, look, you know, this is good stuff. Uh, you should have a look at that link, and this is good stuff, and good stuff to to uh, keep in your back pocket. This is in solid information. Uh, I thought also the Allstate thing was uh, right along with, uh, beginning with Hartford years ago, everybody is getting rid of uh, guarantees. And it's called risk management, and it's a, a new wave that came out of the business schools about 12 years ago, and that's the, the secret to success in business is all risk management. So Allstate moves out their life in the annuity business. They sell it all off, and uh, they take a $4 billion loss. And by the way, there's been uh, there has been inquiries in for uh, – for hostile takeovers of what Allstate has left now because guess what? They, they insure cars, they can raise the premiums on it, so they, they're better risk management. The other thing I thought was interesting is Ohio National, which we have all known for a long time, if you've been selling it, life insurance for a long time, as, as we all have, uh, they're going to demutualize. And this is not a new move in the mutual business. They're going to convert to a stock company. Many, many, many wonderful old mutual companies in this country have demutualized. And that means the next thing is, is that it gives, them, gives the, uh, many people a chance to come in and change around the mixture of that policy and do maybe what the Harper did or what Allstate did. Who knows? But this is a, pretty soon there's going to only be a couple of them left, Northwestern Mutual, Mass Mutual, and some of the fraternal organizations and uh, New York Life. Some of the fraternal organizations, too, but big, big changes in the life, life business coming, I think. With that, I guess that's all we have. Uh, ran a little over. Sorry. Uh, David, anything else? Nope. Good, Bill. Okay, everybody. Thanks for being on our podcast, and uh, we'll, we'll see you uh, all next week. Thanks for listening to the Annuity Agents Podcast with Bill Broach and Anthony Owen. Check back each week for a new episode. For more information on how Annuity Agents Alliance will help you build your annuity business, go to annuityagentsalliance.com or call 888-742-4368. If you like the show, please leave your rating and review on the podcast channel where you found the show. The information and opinions expressed here from third parties or guests are believed to be reliable, but the information cannot be verified or guaranteed by Annuity Agents Alliance. The opinions of guests do not necessarily represent the opinions of Annuity Agents Alliance or its partners. The prior information does not represent tax, legal, or investment advice and is for licensed financial professional use only.